T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is likely the most closely watched congressional race in Illinois and a top-tier race for political observers across the country. The 6th Congressional District Contest pits six-term Republican Congressman Peter Roskam against businessman, scientist, and Democratic newcomer Sean Kasten. This weekend, the two men face each other in our studios in a debate. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Welcome to a special hour-long edition of At Issue. Now, the first half of this program is being heard on the radio, as usual, but you will find the second half and the entire hour, for that matter, podcast at wbbmnewsradio.com slash audio. Then you can just click on At Issue and you will hear the full debate. Uh, I want to thank both Peter Roskam and Sean Kasten for agreeing to this debate. Um, Here are the ground rules. I'm going to ask questions of each candidate. He will answer, and then the other candidate has an opportunity to respond. Now, here's the, uh, the, uh, our, our longstanding tradition. There are no strict time limits. Now, this gives the candidates the chance to say what they have to say without abruptly having to stop or trying to stretch things out. But I'm not going to let one candidate or the other dominate the discussion. If someone is circling around the question or plowing the same patch of rhetorical turf over and over, I reserve the right to politely step in and move things along. Uh, There also might be a follow-up question, and a candidate may respond to something in the preceding comment if time permits. Uh, So that allows us maybe if there is a topic that takes a little bit more time, we'll be able to deal with that. Um, At the end of each half hour, I will ask a kind of wrap-up question, and in those cases, each candidate will have an equal time to respond, probably a minute, but I will see where we are on the clock. So let's get started. Uh, uh, As the new face in the political race, uh, Sean Kasten, I'm going to toss the first question to you, and it's more about the political climate. Um, In your view, what is it about this race that has made it one of the most prominent ones this year? Well, I think we have transitioned from a world over the last 15 years that, that frankly frightens me a little bit. We've, we've transitioned from a world where we had two political parties that believed in the idea of government and had very different and valid ideas about how to get from A to B, but, but, but believed in the idea of government. And we have seen this this nihilism creep in in the Trump administration. And this is a district that um, has historically been a Republican district, but has historically been a district that values businesses and entrepreneurship and hard work, values the United States being a leader in the free world and things that used to be typically thought of as as sort of center-right values. And, and a president who's basically abandoned any pretense of believing in those things. And so it's a district that is like many suburban districts in the country, um, moving slightly to the left demographically, but is looking somewhat fearfully at a Republican Party that has been sprinting to the right. 
Peter Roskam, uh, how do you how do you see this uh, this race playing out in the national picture and in, in local picture? I think this district historically has sent pragmatic people to Congress, people who have a disposition of trying to get things done, and that's been my disposition. I've been able to work on a bipartisan basis with Democrats and Republicans to rein in the IRS on civil asset forfeiture abuse. The Georgetown University's Luger Center rated me the most bipartisan member of the Illinois congressional delegation. I worked with President Obama as it relates to Medicare fraud and getting at that issue. When the Trump administration has said, let's cut taxes and bring uh, tax relief to the 6th District, I've been an enthusiastic supporter of that. I'm sure we'll end up talking a lot more about that. So the role of a member of Congress is to reflect a constituency to a co-equal branch of government. There are some folks who want the role of a congressman to be opining over every presidential tweet. And if that's what ends up happening, it's a complete waste of time. So my view is, let's work, let's find bipartisan solutions. I've demonstrated that in the past, and I'll continue to do that in the future. Let me let me ask a, a sort of a follow-up that I know you want to say something, Sean Kasten, and, and, and this will give you the opportunity, but... Um, uh, Congressman, uh, is this race a referendum on Donald Trump? No, I don't think it is. I've had other experiences where other candidates for the top office, President Obama and others, have won my congressional district, and at the same time, I've won it as well. And I think in terms of, of vitriol in terms of the campaign, my my criticism and my critique of Sean and his approach as it relates to social media is this— He's actively participating in this. He's engaging. He is um, upping the wattage. I mean, the level of criticism and name calling. Um, he tweeted out, "Who are these Americans who support hashtag the tax cam? They wear T-shirts with money bags on them. They like discotheques and yachts. They like to do their drawings." There's example after example after example of this, of hyperbole, putting people down, and basically the politics of ridicule. And in my estimation, it's not what our country needs. Our country needs to have people sent to Washington that are trying to get things done, not simply declare against one another. Sean Gaston. Well, um, I think it would be lovely if we had a representative who represented the district. I certainly agree that the that is the role of Congress. There's a reason why they call it a representative. Um, Congressman Roskam has voted with Donald Trump 94% of the time. There are only nine members of Congress, according to 538, who have a higher score of voting with the president. And this is decidedly not a a Trump-friendly district. I quite agree with you, um, uh, Peter, that this is not going to be a referendum on Trump. It's going to be a referendum on which of the two of us better represents the values. But, you know, I've had... I've been talking with voters around the district. I've had a ton of town halls that have been that have been fully open to the public. We haven't had an open town meeting in ten years. Um, the I I don't know how one communicates with you um, other than through telephone town halls that you find out a moment before. So, Craig, and, can I respond? I mean, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're done, yeah. Well, I'd I'd make the argument that being a representative of the district requires first representing the district. This is a district that's between Argonne and Fermilab, is very science-affirming. My background as a biochemist maps fairly well to that. Peter's background calling climate change junk science does not. And it's a district with a lot of very um, high-achieving um, entrepreneurs and business people, and, and I reflect that pretty well. 
representation also means you have to represent the district and speak and listen to them. And and I think I've been disappointed with Peter on both fronts as his representative. Okay. Peter Greg, Oscar. in the past year, I've had 285 constituent meetings in front of 15,000 constituents in the 6th Congressional District. So I interact well with those constituents. Sean's criticism of town halls, I didn't notice any criticism when Senator Durbin adopted my stance back during the Obamacare debate. Senator Durbin said he was not going to have those loud meetings. And what I've observed is people go to those meetings angry and they leave angrier. They add to the vitriol. And he said that they they didn't lead to civil discourse. And I think he's right. The 94% figure is an interesting one because underneath that, there's not something that's demonstrable where I'm voting out of step with the district. So when I vote to keep the government open, when I vote to bring tax relief of a billion dollars to the 6th Congressional District, when I vote to bring relief of Obamacare, which has failed this congressional district, those are things that reflect the district. When I stand up against the Trump administration as it relates to their attempts to cut Great Lakes funding, Sean doesn't mention that. When I work with President Obama in the past, as some of the things that I cited earlier, Sean doesn't mention that. So I think I have demonstrated an availability to the district, both on telephone town halls and in in-person meetings, as well as the ability to reflect a constituency that's not declarative about just being oppositional. This is a constituency that says, let's get things done. Uh, let's talk about some issues. I want to start with one that was in the headlines this week. Uh, and we'll probably go back and forth between political questions and, uh, and, and policy questions, but I think we need to do both. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court this week delivered two much-anticipated rulings on two separate and contentious areas of interest, labor unions and immigration. Uh, the high court upheld President Trump's travel ban, and it ruled against public sector labor unions, uh, uh, forcing people at bargains for to pay dues. Um, uh, Congressman Roscom, this will count as your first question. <laughs> See how far we've gotten? Uh, uh, how do you feel about uh, those decisions and the prospects for the apparently evolving Supreme Court? Well, I think it's interesting that Sean criticizes Justice Gorsuch and undermines his credibility as being the result of a stolen election. That's a very fringe perspective. And I think a majority of people in the 6th Congressional District would look at Neil Gorsuch with admiration and say, this is a jurist who is incredibly qualified and now part of the court. The tumultuous nature of the immigration debate is going to continue to roil our country. And we have now a situation where the southern border is uh, in very, very tough shape. I broke with the president very quickly on the zero tolerance policy, for example, on child separation. I voted in favor last week of a remedy to bring relief to DACA recipients, to end the child separation policy, and also to bring a more secure border. So the United States Senate is going to be taking up, obviously, new Senate nominees as, as we move forward. As it relates to government workers, that was the, the, the Janus case. And now government workers have the choice of whether they want to be in a union or not. And I think that that is something that is healthy for us. Just quickly on the junk science comment, that's a phrase or that was a comment that was taken out of context. Sean and I would both agree that we don't want to have things debated on junk science. We want to make sure the science is good. And so I'm a part of the Climate Solutions Caucus, which is a bipartisan group in the Senate. But the, the, the environmental issues go beyond simply 
simply climate issues, and we can, I'm sure, talk about those in a couple of minutes. Okay. John Caston. Well, let let me respond to your specific questions, and if there's time, I'll respond to Peter's comments. With with respect to both of those decisions, I'm deeply troubled. The The Janus decision really shouldn't be a bipartisan question. If you were to ask objectively, should people be allowed to receive a benefit they didn't pay for? I think Republican, Democrat, we would all agree that, a, that free riders make the economy less efficient. You know, we should have transparency of pricing and people pay on a, for what they get if the economy works. What the Janus decision essentially says is that if you are the beneficiary of collective bargaining in a government agency, you don't have to pay for that anymore. This is a, this is a massive threat to the working people um, throughout, the, throughout the country, and particularly in government sector jobs. And we've got a lot of government sector jobs. This district is between Argonne and Fermilab. There's a lot of employees there. There's a lot of towns that have a high number of teachers. And if those people no longer have the ability to pay for their right to collective bargaining or no longer have the resources to do that. They're going to have less money. They're going to have less disposable income. They're going to have less ability to put their kids through college. This is a big problem. And, and it's essentially a violation of what I think are pretty fundamental market principles. On the, on the Muslim ban, I, I'll tell you, I don't know what to do but cry. Um, the, there is absolutely no basis or saying that people are threats to this country because of their religion. The efforts to repeal this were thrown out twice by lower courts, and, and then it's, it's really troubling that went through, and went through on, really on a purely partisan basis at the Supreme Court level. Um, this is not going to make us safer. It's going to make us less respected in the eyes of our, of our friends and allies, and even some people who may oppose us around the world. But The United States has always been in our best when we lead from a position of our morals and our belief in equal treatment and values. And this sends a signal to the world that we're no longer that advocate. That's a big problem, and it scares me. Greg, I think that's a mischaracterization of the court decision itself as it relates to the the ban. So there's no mention of religion in the court decision. That's a point that the justices made. Now, the president can claim various things in terms of bumper stickers and hyperbole and tweets. But the bottom line is the reason that the courts came to this decision is they recognized First Amendment protections were intact. This singles out particularly threatening countries, threatening countries that the Obama administration weighed in on earlier. And if this were a Muslim ban, then people from Indonesia, for example, and some large Muslim countries wouldn't be able to come in. So I think that we've got to be very careful with our use of language and not overcharacterize this as something that it isn't. And the justices made that exact point. Well, Peter, re- respectfully on this, I think you're alighting some important points. Rudy Giuliani was very clear that he was going to try to figure out a way to allow the president to put a ban on Muslims and would find a way to get it through the courts. There is no question but that this ban was designed to block people from majority Muslim countries, not all of them, but that was the basis. There is not a national security reason why these countries are threats to our health and safety. Well, I think there um, is in terms of the, the, the nature of the country. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. Uh, but the court said it was not going to rule based on outside statements, whether it be from the president in his tweets or from his supporters about what was going on, but on the policy itself. Which, what I'm suggesting to Peter, the point that I was making is that we are sending a signal to the rest of the world 
that we no longer are an advocate for the equality of treatment for the principles in our Constitution of the separation of church and state, that we don't judge on religion. The court may have said that they are not opining on that issue, but what the rest of the world sees is your president sought to ban Muslims. He tried several times. His lawyer said, I will find a way to make this work, and the court has basically passed a rule that is a Muslim ban. I'll, I'll tell you a story from personal experience. My my family has a small foundation that's got a mission to foster international education. We set up after 9-11 a five-year program to bring students over from Indonesia to study in the United States and create some, some Muslim exchange. As the way it turned out, one of the five students we picked was a male. The other four were women. It took twice as long to get a visa for the male. And when we inquired to the State Department as to why that was, they said because he has a Muslim name. It had nothing to do with who he was as an individual. Clearly, we have to have, we have to, you know, background check on people that come in. But when we are screening based on people, just based on their, their gender or just based on their religion, we don't send a signal to the rest of the world that we are representative of the values that I think we all around this room hold dear. Let me ask you quickly, uh, Peter Roskam, is there some oversight that maybe Congress needs to have to make sure that it doesn't slip over into being uh, a any discrimination against people because of their religion. Yeah, I think there's no question. I've had the opportunity in this district to interact with a number of mosques in the 6th Congressional District and interacting with them in hearing their concerns. And I will stipulate, there's a concern, and we've got to be very careful with our rhetoric, and we need to be very careful with how we approach this. I am of the view that it's not helpful when a Supreme Court decision is mischaracterized and oversimplified. And I think that all of us should agree that our first freedom is our freedom to worship. I had an opportunity to meet with a woman of Iranian descent who was in to see me not long ago. She was nearly teary-eyed. She was of the Baha'i faith. She was persecuted in Iran, and yet she has been welcomed into this country in open arms. There's a group in Glen Ellen of Muslims who have been persecuted in Pakistan. They are so true and faithful and patriotic to the United States that it's inspiring. Why? Because they're persecuted in a home country and they're welcomed here. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I am political editor Craig Delamore. You're listening to a debate between 6th District Republican Congressman Peter Roskam and his Democratic challenger businessman Sean Kasten. This is a special hour-long edition of At Issue. The first half of this program is being heard on the radio as usual, but you will find the second half and the entire hour podcast at wbbmnewsradio.com slash audio. Just click on the at issue uh, button there, and you will hear the full debate. Uh, let's move on uh, to the economy, at least briefly. Uh, 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 Sean Kasten, uh, many Democrats have uh, said that the Trump administration's tax cuts have been a boon for the wealthy and worth little to the middle class. Um, is that a fair assumption? I mean, because uh, Congressman Roskam brought people down to... Uh, down to Washington just recently, uh, business people, local business people, to say that uh, they think they are benefiting from this. Um, the tax bill that, that Peter Roskam led is a is massively regressive, unbelievably irresponsible, and is really going to set our country back a long ways. First of all, let's recognize that this is not designed as a boon to the middle class. 83% of the tax cuts went to corporations and the 1%. 
One of the things that I can tell you in my experience running businesses is that when you're sitting on a lot of cash and you get more cash, all of the pressure is to pay dividends. It is not to reinvest. This tax bill was passed as a massive gift to the corporations when corporate cash reserves were at an all-time high. The, the CEO of PepsiCo, myself, and lots of others were saying, this is not going to stimulate the economy. It's a massive wealth transfer. And in fact, that's what's happened. There's been a huge increase in dividends. It's not grown the economy. Layered on top of that is that this is a district, this is the 12th highest state and local tax, all the congressional districts, this is the number 12 in terms of the state and local tax. Peter Roskam, out of the Ways and Means Committee, the bill that he sponsored, the bill that left the House, completely eliminated that tax deduction. The only reason we even have a cap is because Susan Collins in the Senate insisted on putting in a 10,000 cap. This is a huge, when I go out and talk to voters, they are really angry about that. They're even angrier that they got a mailer from Mr. Roskam saying that they should thank him for allowing to prepay their taxes. What we have in this tax bill is essentially the Bush tax cuts on steroids, which led us into the greatest recession since the 20s. What we are teed up to do is to repeat that mistake. Congressman Roskam, uh, you obviously have a very different feeling about that. Here's what I know. <clears throat> Average couple... <clears throat> husband and wife, two kids, median income, $135,000 in the 6th Congressional District. Their tax relief is $4,600. We lowered all the tax rates. We doubled the child tax credit, extending it out from topping out at $100,000 now into the $400,000 range, which hugely helps the 6th District. Sean mentions the elimination of the salt tax. He is factually wrong. The version that left the House had the $10,000 exclusion that I advocated for, so he needs to fact check that. But set that aside, he criticizes the elimination of the salt deduction, but makes no mention of these other taxes that have come down. And here's the net effect. The National Association of Manufacturers, who is, you know, we have so many manufacturers in the 6th District, they have said, their disposition and their positive outlook is at a 20-year high. The unemployment rate in this country is at an 18-year low. So the Joint Economic Commission, which is a bipartisan commission of the House of Representatives, has said that in their analysis of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the tax burden, the federal revenue burden on millionaires goes up and on the middle class goes down. That's the Joint Economic Commission. So I'll tell you, I was up at a daycare center not long ago up in McHenry County talking to some constituents who own a daycare facility. And I said, how's business? And they said, Peter, business is booming. And business is booming because people are back at work. So with all due respect to Sean, the 83% figure has been debunked. Um, it's a Nancy Pelosi talking point. Nancy Pelosi actually said that when she was asked, about the low unemployment rate. Isn't that something to celebrate, essentially? She literally said, la-di-da. Well, la-di-da is not an attitude that people have as it relates to the tax burden that they're feeling. And by contrast, Sean is advocating a massive tax hike. He's called for an increase in the gas tax. He's called for an increase in the Social Security tax. He's stood with Mike Madigan against the property tax freeze. He's called for the J.B. Pritzker tax hike. The 6th District cannot afford Sean Caston's disposition on taxes. Um, Sean, have you called for all those things? Um, there's a tremendous amount of misrepresentation there, but let's, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about a couple things. 
the we are sitting at the end of a one of the longest sustained economic booms in our history. We can thank our prior president for that. The the fact that we are now sitting there saying unemployment is at a low, um, that the that the stock market is doing well, this is a nine year trend. Whether or not that trend will be exaggerated or reduced by virtue of this tax bill is a point that Peter and I may disagree on. But we can all look at the numbers and see what's happened. And it is unambiguous. Um, if you're running against Nancy Pelosi, I wish you the best. I'm not Nancy Pelosi. Um, it is unambiguous that the overwhelming majority of these tax cuts go to the very wealthy and the 1%. We should talk a little bit about unemployment because one of the things that, that I find frightening is a, as a, we talk about, we have economic metrics that we're used to using as a country. And unemployment is indeed at an all-time low. Wage growth has completely stagnated. And inflation is still, is still there, but wage growth isn't keeping up. And we've essentially, as an economy, shifted from an economy that created jobs all across the skill spectrum to an economy that creates high-skilled jobs and low-skilled jobs. And there's a whole lot of people who got lost in the middle. We had businesses that we provided utilities for employed 6,000 people. I was pretty proud of the fact that those people's jobs depended on us keeping the lights on and, and the heat flowing every day. 20 years ago, those same businesses employed 60,000 people with half as much economic activity. That's a really neat story about automation and innovation, but those 54,000 people are still employed on our employment statistics, but they're underemployed. And that explains this wage destruction we're seeing. And so our tax code ideally needs to do two things. It needs to stimulate growth and innovation by doing things like incentivizing education, incentivizing investment, none of which is done in this tax bill. Number two, it needs to deal with the fact that we are at an all-time high of wealth inequality. And much of the angst that we saw in the Trump election was people who were feeling that economic anxiety in spite of many of the positive numbers that Peter talks about. And if you have a job, but you don't have benefits anymore, you don't have a pension, you're underemployed, that drives a lot of angst that we need to be dealing with and look beyond the unemployment numbers. Craig, did you notice something? I laid out a number of tax hikes that Sean has advocated, and he didn't deny them. So he's in favor of raising the Social Security tax by his own white paper. That means every every $10,000 somebody earns above $128, he, he says tax another $620. He's advocated for increasing the tax, gas tax. Sixth District has more tolls than nearly every everybody in the country. We're paying already. He's advocated Mike Madigan's position against the property tax freeze, and yet, and he's complicit with J.B. Pritzker. Well, well, I'm going to I'm gonna have to stop both of you for a second because we will have to ask one question, and we're coming to the end of okay. the first half hour. Okay. Uh, so uh, the quick question is, and one minute to answer, what in your background or your experience makes you the best person to help move the 6th District forward? Sean Kasten, start with you. Look, as a, as a person who spent their career in the sciences and the business world, one of the things that I have absolutely relied on in my life and has been schooled into me from a young age is you make decisions based on facts and then deal with the political fallout afterwards. That is not a skill you learn as a 20-year politician. You have to deal as a scientist with the facts as they lie. When we talk about the gas tax, as Peter was mentioning, we have a problem with decaying roads and bridges and the fact that our, our revenue model does not keep up with the cost to maintain those. We have to have some hard conversations. And I've said that if the only way to do it is the gas tax, we can do it. But at the end of the day, we should be thinking like a business owner does, that you use a balance sheet and you invest in accretive things. This business, this district, 
is filled with people who are scientists and business people and vastly more reflective of the people in this district than Peter is. Peter Raskin. We're in an incredibly challenging season in our public life, and we need people with a disposition and an attitude of working across the aisle to get things done. I got every Republican and every Democrat in Congress to join with me in passing a bill that takes the IRS's authority away to do uh, manipulations against small business. We overwhelmingly passed uh, bipartisan opioid relief, bringing relief and enhancements as it relates to enforcement to the opioid crisis that we're dealing with. I've demonstrated a capacity to look past differences and to seek the common ground. And even as we move forward in a very difficult and tumultuous season, I think it's that kind of attitude as opposed to pejorative name-calling that we really need. You are listening to a debate between 6th District Republican Congressman Peter Roskam and his Democratic challenger, businessman Sean Kasten. This is a special hour-long edition of That Issue. The first half of this program is being heard on radio, as usual, but you will find the second half and the entire hour podcast on wbbmnewsradio.com slash audio. Uh, just click on At Issue and you will hear the full debate. Now, for our on-air audience... I will let you know I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.